Thursday Finance coming your way with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And a little later on, we'll have our guest Mark Longworth from LJ Hooker Valentine. He'll be along to talk about buying and selling a house. And uh, we're also going to take a look at currencies and commodities and we'll have our weekly market snapshot. And Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. Stephen, let's start off. Uh, the RBA met at the beginning of this month, it being the first Tuesday in the month this week. And what's happened to interest rates and um, what does it mean? Uh, basically, the RBA has decided at this stage there's no change in interest rates. Um, the, the RBA is in a rather difficult position. I mean, um, interest rates in Australia are high compared to the rest of the world, which is one of the reasons the Australian dollars um, was on one stage at uh, Tuesday back over 78 cents again. And But by the same token, the, the real economy is kind of grinding to a halt um, which says you should be dropping interest rates and the property market's going up and up and up, particularly in Sydney and parts of Melbourne, which, which um, by f- dropping interest rates, that, that's going to only cause the property market to go up further. So they're, they're really in a bit of a bind here. One economic indicator says rates should be going down and the other says it should be putting up. So they've, they've stuck to the middle road and just held them at the moment. That way they don't offend anybody, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, except people on low incomes. Yes. <laughs> <We're> getting, <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, speaking about uh, money and prices and things, how about commodities this week? Are we doing better with gold, do you think? Uh, no, gold's pretty similar to last week. It, it was, yesterday closed at $1,531 an ounce. Um, silver was similar to last week, $21.20 an ounce. And copper was down 1.4% on the week for to $7,754 a tonne. No, I think we should be in copper, don't you, even no, no, if it is dropping? No, tin's actually better. Tin, oh. tin $19,943 a tonne. It was down about 1% on the week. And uh, nickel is a 16,742 tonne, which is up 1% on the week. So, mm. so probably okay. nickel or... Um, Nickel or tin or is a tin. better bit than copper. Okay. Well, we need a large storeroom. Yes. Well, you've got the place where your tree fell down, haven't we? Can't we, <laughs> can't we dump it there? <laughs> In the hole where the root was. Okay. We'll be okay. right. We're sorted out. Okay. And as we mentioned earlier, the, the Australian dollar was up a bit on the week. It's actually up one one and a half percent, which is a fair movement to seventy seven. Closed at seventy seven cents yesterday, uh, but it was at, up up at seventy eight cents at one stage during during um, Tuesday. Um, and basically, we're up against all the major currencies. We're up uh, 1.5% against the British pound, uh, 2% against the US, uh, the New Zealand dollar, and we're down. The only currency we're actually down is against the euro, 1.2%. And the euro, the Greek problem seems to be erupting in uh, the eurozone again, so that, that's probably some influence. Although I thought I heard somebody say we shouldn't be blaming Greece for everything. <laughs> Oh, I, I oh I'm sorry, the Eurozone shouldn't be blaming me. Well, I think that's right. I that's think that's right. I mean, there's a structural problem in the Eurozone, and I, I don't know how it's ever oh, going to be fixed. That's a bigger problem than yeah. for now. Yes, that's right. And so the Australian share market, it was down 2.5% on the week. Um, the, the market's tending to drift down. It has been... Um, the last couple of weeks, and I think we're back down to somewhere we were in um, January, early mm. in the year. But there is still selective stocks that uh, um, are up. Um, the, we, the US market was down half a percent on the week. Um, the Hang Seng, which is the uh, Hong Kong market, was down 1.5% on the week. Mm. So worldwide, all the major markets were down. And oil, are we up to that? Well, you love oil, don't you, Jane? No. So the well, West we do test, in our cars. West Texas Intermediate crude price was $76 a barrel, which was up almost 3% on the week. So the, the oil price is tending to creep back up. Um, 
and the petrol price, which is one of our favourites of discussion, um, the the unleaded petrol price in Newcastle was a dollar forty a litre this morning, which is down about two percent on the week, and a dollar thirty four in Sydney, which is actually down eight percent on the week. So and diesel. Diesel. Um, diesel's relatively steady, a dollar thirty four in Newcastle, which is point two percent up on last week and a dollar thirty in Sydney, which is point two three eight percent up. So there's really no change in diesel. But there's a big movement in Sydney, um, unleaded petrol prices, but unfortunately not ours. And to NURFM twenty three past twelve, Thursday finance for our sponsor Pritchard and Partners and Stephen Pritchard with our market snapshot today. Retail Food Group, now they're in the news, but what are they? Who are they? Retail Food Group's a collection of uh, brands that, that you, you probably know from eating their products like uh, Brumbies, um, bread and, um, which was probably what you were eating earlier, um, bread and um, products, um, Michelle's Patisserie, which has the cakes, um, um, Donut King and uh, Gloria Jeans. So a collection of retail brands, um, and that's I suppose that's where the name comes from. Um, you, you probably wouldn't know that that they're all owned by this one company. So so what they've announced this week, they're going to shut down some of their smaller brands, which is uh, one called Esquire Coffee, which I'd never actually heard of, and they've also forecast a 50% increase in the underlying profit for the year. They've actually been going quite well. They've been around for a number of years and I think the last acquisition they made was Gloria Jeans, and um, the, the returns to shareholders have been quite good, and they're forecasting another 50% increase in profit. So instead of having shares in Gloria Jeans or... Well, you, well, you can't. You, you can't, you, so you, you have to go through retail, retail food, food group. group. Yeah, okay, yeah. if you want a part of Br- that Brumbies action. was listed on the Newcastle Stock Exchange at one stage uh, and did quite well for the shareholders there, but Retail Food Group took that over. Right. Now, speaking about getting rid of things um, on, in a different area, auto parts... And yes, Metcash um, owns a couple of auto part brands, uh, Midas, Autopro and Autobahn, and they're doing quite well, but uh, Metcash's traditional um, supermarket business isn't doing so well as we've spoken about before. So what they're thinking of doing is um, selling their auto parts business and reinvesting the money into a redevelopment of the um, core supermarket IGA brands to try and uh, arrest the market share decline to uh, Aldi, Woolworths and Coles. Okay, so we might have a, a boost to IGA then. Mm. Uh, hopefully. Mm, yeah. Mm. Okay, now Virtus is another company that's around. What is it? And, and I'm, am I sp- <laughs> pronouncing it right? Yeah, Virtus is the largest I- IVF uh, company in Australia. It, it provides in vitro fertilisation services to uh, people who, who can't have children for, mm. ver- for various reasons. Um, it, it's uh, the share price dropped um, during the. Uh, during yesterday by about 20% when it announced that uh, it's uh, profit downgrade because the, the number of um, in vitro fertilisation services were, were less than expected. Um, and also um, there's a couple of reasons. The, one of the major centres was damaged in some floods and that had to be shut down. So the company expects that the growth will continue uh, after they come, overcome these operational problems. Mm, no, hepatitis A. Mm. Oh, we're on the bad news. Paddy's Foods uh, profit fell 9% and they've blamed that uh, on the hepatitis A recall of the frozen berries that occurred earlier in the year. They were raspberries or 
Yeah, mm. there might have been a couple of different yeah, kinds some, some of berries. Some frozen berry that imported from China and... Uh, and something had not been quite so hygienic yeah. in the processing. The, the government promised all sorts of reforms to food labelling after that, but um, has anything actually happened? Well, we'll have to read all our labels and see. Well, that's the trouble. You, mm. That's the problem on the labels. You, you don't know where, you know, there's these labels that says manufactured from imported and, and local ingredients. Who knows what that means? Yes, exactly. And I suppose, wasn't there some call to have the country of, the country of, of origin, processing yeah. Um, included Which is what, what and, the, and the government, uh, the Prime Minister at the stage said, well, the market should decide this. Well, the market wants it. How can it decide where to buy the food from if it doesn't know where it's coming from? Mm, okay, so just still be fairly careful about buying frozen raspberries. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I think you need to know what you're eating, and the first step is you need to know which country it's coming from. And if you, if you want to buy them from there, well, that's fine. Your decision. It's the decision, yes. Okay, uh, now, franking. It's uh, always very yes. pleasant franking, uh, to look yes, at when benefits you, when you of receive, franking. When you receive your dividend. Um, there, there's been a sub- number of submissions by various people that to say that the franking system should be done away with, but a number of fund managers came out because one of the, one of the reasons put forward was that it, it favoured Australian residents over overseas investors. Um, and this week, a number of fund managers put together a submission to the tax white paper, which is dealing with a whole lot of issues. And surprisingly, a number of overseas fund managers have come out in support of franking and said that it's very beneficial for the Australian economy. It means it encourages Australian companies to pay uh, more tax because the shareholders are pushing them to get frank dividends. And if it's abolished, what the government will see is actually um, companies will restructure their operations so there's more overseas earnings and resulting less tax paid to the Australian Treasury. So that was that was interesting. It seems to counter counteract the previous arguments put forward by people including the Treasury itself. Okay. Mm. So at the moment, in the meantime, when we get uh, franked dividends from companies, we can still get that yeah, well, back off our yeah, tax. Yeah, well, basically, yeah, you get that off your tax. So yeah. it's basically, the franking system is effectively a prepaid tax on your share of the income of the company. Mm. Okay. And Rio Tinto... The miners are always in the news, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, Rio Tinto's a... iron ore boss came in again today, um, or yesterday rather, and said that he's pushing staff for further cost reductions. Um, the iron ore price, you know, is up and down, but that the long-term trend continues to drift down. And to keep profitability, Rio's increasing production, which is probably aggravating the drop, dropping the price, and as pushing staff for cost reductions. Okay, so there'll be more things happening there, no doubt. Oh, I think there's more costs to come out of the area. With, uh, and probably with other miners as well? Probably with other miners, mm. and the biggest cost is the staffing, so you, you can mm. see that they'll be reduced further. Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and time... Stephen Pritchard, to invite our guest along, Mark Longworth from LJ Hookers in Valentine. And over to you. Uh, welcome, Mark. Um, hmm. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Jane. Good to be here. Buying a house is one of, often the biggest financial commitment that many people make in a lifetime, and, and usually they only you know, buy a house once or twice. Um, and a lot of people, because they haven't done this, aren't sure of the steps that they go through with uh, buying or, or selling a house for that matter. So I thought we'd just have Mark along today to talk about some of those steps that a buyer, first of all, needs to go through when they're, when they're looking for a house. So yes. what, what do they need to do first? I, I would always suggest for, before you start looking at houses, you really should find out what your budget's going to be and what you can afford. And, of course, that means going to your local bank or building society, and in this case, in a lot of cases these days, you go to see a broker. 
and a broker is able to help you and look at many different loans and many different ways that you can borrow money. And then from that point, you then will have some sort of idea what you can borrow. I would then suggest that you get something in writing to say that you are able to borrow that sort of money. And then off you go and start looking for houses. And that's the, that's most likely the tricky bit. Because um, these days, nowadays, we would use websites more than anything. So I'd suggest that you spend a lot of time looking at websites and trying to find out, you know, what's the best house and uh, what areas you're looking to buy in. And different areas have different prices, of course. So if you've only got, you know, $400,000, I wouldn't be going to look at Meriwether Bar Beach. You'd have to look at another area and see what's there. And from that point, then hopefully you can find a house that you're going to be happy with or feel content with and want to live in. And at that point, then you'll start talking to the agent about how, what's the next process about going out and buying and what I'm going to do. So after you, after you've located a house on the, uh, one of the domain.com or realestate.com, I assume. They're the main two. They're the main two. You go and ring up the agent. What's the agent going to do then? Well, generally in a lot of cases now, we receive an email from the purchaser, uh, because you can do that. It's directly off the website and make a, make an arrangement to go and look at the home. In a lot of cases now, you find we do open houses of a Saturday. Now, open houses are not something that we expect people to walk through and buy a house. They're done mainly in half-hour increments, and you might try and look at as many houses as you can on a Saturday to give you a feel for the market in that area. If you like some of the houses and do a short list, then you contact the agent, and you would then make a time to go back and do a singular inspection so that you can spend... 30 minutes or 40 minutes talking to the agent about the home and some of the pluses and minuses. So, so the agents don't mind if you, if you go through, you know, 15 or 20 open houses be, because they're all there just wanting yeah, people to go through. that's right. Well, that's yeah. what they're there for, to, for us to meet as many people as we can and also to get as many people through the house as we can, for us to also get a feel that the house, we're headed in the right direction as far as the marketing of that particular property and also to get some feedback on price for the vendors because we've got to remember we're dealing with owners who want to know how many came through and what the comments might be. So there could be comments made on a house that could be minor things like, gee, the paintwork's not real good, and the owner will say, well, I can easily fix that up and that will make the house better presented to achieve a better price. So then after you've gone through the open house, you then should give, ring, ring the agent and get a more personalised inspection. Get a more personalised yeah, inspection. And, and if, if you're interested, then then you can then you start sort of looking to make an offer. I would suggest also that about that time you should also be doing a bit of homework on conveyances and solicitors as to who you're going to use if you do purchase a property. Uh, a lot of people have an old family solicitor in the going around, they'll use them. Conveyances are now more popular. They may be a little bit cheaper, but they only do conveyancing. And uh, if any real problems arise during the purchase, a conveyancer will not handle it as well as a solicitor because a solicitor is more up with the legal side of it. But a conveyancer, they're quite good. They'll handle it. They return your phone calls, have a chat to them. But uh, then you start, you'll be looking to make an offer on the property. Offers uh, in New South Wales are made verbally. We don't necessarily have to have it in writing from the purchaser. So a verbal offer is okay. We will want to know with the offer, not just the amount of money, but we'd like to know what sort of settlement time you would like. And what are the terms and conditions of that offer? 
I mean, I'd buy the Opera House, but subject to me winning Lotto three years in a row. So I mean, you can't just put that down as a, as, a, as a term and condition. So what you need to know is, uh, right, you've got your finance arranged, so it's be subject to formal approval of the finance. And most people and most solicitors' conveyances will recommend that you get a pest and building report done on the property. That's to ensure that the property on the building side. And so, so what, what, what does the building report do, or the pest the, report? The building report is really there to see the house is structurally sound. It's not to tell you that the third bedroom needs a repaint. Okay. You can see that when you walk yep. through the home. And the pest report is to see if the property has had or is having any problems with white ants or wood rot or yep. something of that nature. To NURFM 19 to 1, and we're looking at buying a house with Mark Longworth on to NURFM's Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. So, so after you've got your um, building report and your pest report, and the pest report comes back and says the white yes. ants haven't eaten the house away or anything like that. No, not yet. So it's all, also all perfect. Um, so, and you've made the offer to the, the seller. What, what usually happens then? Right. Well, after the negotiations and you both agree on a price, then we would then send correspondence to both solicitors, the vendor solicitor to prepare a contract to send to the purchaser solicitor. And while that's going on, then the pest and building are done. So we would expect that to be done within 48 hours. And then at that point, if that's all successful, then we're ready to actually sign the contracts. We have a five-day cooling-off period, which is put into contracts. Uh, that can be negated if uh, the purchaser wants to do things in a bit more of a hurry. But the object of that five-day cooling-off period originally was that people could get their finance and do the pest and building in the five-day cooling-off. In other words, secure the property by signing a contract and then do that. And that was to try and negate gazumping. But we find now that most people will just do the normal process, get a contract while they're doing it, get a pest and building, talk to the solicitor, go back to the finance people to make sure that the finance is all right. It might need an inspection uh, from the finance people just to make sure that it's going to fit the bill as far as value goes. So a value will come out and do that from whoever it might be. So all that all goes on. And generally when the solicitor is happy with all of that, then the purchaser or the buyer will then go in to sign the contract. Press hard, sign here. And the owner will press hard and sign here. And then a thing happens called the exchange, which is very simply the swapping of the two contracts. And once they're swapped, that's classed as the exchange of contracts, and that's the sale date. And then you can work out a, a, a final date for settlement that might have 42 days or 35 days in a contract, but you can work that out at that point as long as both parties agree. That can be changed. That's, that's not really uh, indelible, so you can easily do that. So at what point... Um, should you actually um, ins- take out insurance from the from the buyer's point of view? Should you insure the house? There's differing. There's differing. I mean, obviously you've got to insure it before you you do the settlement, but you really should insure it. I would think sometime after the exchange, because you then have a financial interest in that property. You've locked in to buy it, so you really should then take out an insurance policy then. I'd yeah, look at it I mean, then. we always tell clients in our practice yeah, to, to it's take always out wise. the insurance policy as soon as you're exchanged. I have had a case where there was a fire in the kitchen three days before the settlement and the purchaser hadn't taken out an insurance policy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, so when, you, when you're buying a house, do, do you have to pay the agent any money? Or? No, no, we're, we're very cheap. Um, we give a lot of advice for nothing, um, we find. So we're, we're very cheap. So everything we do 
for the buyer is at no charge. All of our money comes from the owner of the property and that, and that comes at the very end. We don't get paid up front and that is depending on the negotiated fee that we sit down with the owner and, and come up with, whatever that fee, fee might be. And just one other thing before we move on to selling a house. So if I'm a buyer, can I just say to you, um, give me a remark and say, look, um, I'm looking for a, a three-bedroom house um, with a swimming pool on the waterfront at Valentine, and will you actually go through your listings and find that for me? Well, we, we go through the we, – what we do, we actually will do that. We go through the listings and have a look, and it is discussed if we do have a buyer looking for something in particular that one of us in the office may have spoken to a potential owner that's thinking about selling, that we can then approach that owner and say, look, we do have someone who could be interested in your property. So if 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 um, it's not on the website, it's still it's still not a bad idea just to give the owner a, uh, the agent a call and see if they've got anything that's that's kind of coming up. Yep. That, that that's not on the public sale yet. Yeah. Well, I'd like to I'd like to see that more often. And you've got to remember, as agents, we do have a database. And if we have your email address, you'll receive automatic emails from us when new properties are released onto the market. So we can give you alerts as to something that's coming on uh, without the agent having to call you. I mean, we are people. We can't make 100 phone calls a day, but we can send out, you know, a 1,000 emails a day and letting people know about property. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, we're finding all about the ins and outs of buying and selling a house with Mark Longworth. So we'll, we'll just move on to the selling process now. So, mm. so I've got my house and I've decided to sell it. So what, what do I need to do first? The first thing you really have to do is to select an agent that you want to deal with. Most people will do this by selecting a few agents to come in and give them an idea of what their value of the house would be or what they think they can achieve as a price. The second thing, they'll also want to know about the marketing that agent is going to do and what costs are incurred in that marketing. So you'd like to know that uh, the house is going to be promoted in some way and not just sit in someone's window and gather dust. So that's the two things you really have to do, and you do that by sitting down and talking to agents face-to-face, making a time. It's not a quick process. Uh, if I sit down with some people, it really takes about an hour, an hour and a half to run through all the things we intend to do and how we do it and how we go about it because a lot of people, they think, you know, the agent comes in and press hard sign here and he wanders out, and they don't know what goes on behind the scenes with photography, floor plans, getting the websites ready, uh, all of that, emails going out to a lot of people about the property. There's a lot of things going behind the scenes, and I think that should all be explained to people. And so when do you need to get the contract? You need to have a contract before you can... You have to have a blank contract to sale on the property, plus an agency agreement before you can start, before we can start marketing. The owner can get a contract for sale whenever they want, just by calling their solicitor or conveyancer. If they want to then also leave it up to the agent... We as agents will send a letter on their behalf to their solicitor or conveyancer to save them the running around. And the solicitor or conveyancer will then contact them to verify that what's happening is going on, that we will be handling it, and it just goes from there. So, so after we've got our contract and we've got our agency agreements signed, um, how do we decide how we're going to sell it? I mean, we can sell it privately, we can do an auction, or this other thing, expression of yes. interest seems to be popping up these days. Well, it, it, the different markets, different ways, and I think what's happening at the moment is that the market at the moment is a little bit all over the place, and as we know, there's a little bit of a boom in the market. So how do you set a price on a house? 
I mean, everyone will admit that the public will set the price on the house. It's not going to be set by an agent or by the individual owner. It's what people are prepared to pay. And uh, expressions of interest, that's where that comes in. We'll get some expressions of interest. That's fine. Uh, you either have private treaty sale or public auction. Private treaty will involve expressions of interest or just a straight private treaty by putting a price on it. You may notice the trend now, a lot of it's offers over coming onto the market and this allows people to bid upwards rather than putting a firm price on it where everyone's going to offer under it. Uh, I Different agents will have different opinions on how to sell a particular property. I'm a little bit at the moment, uh, like in Sydney, 84% of all auctions in Sydney are successful. And that's proving to be the big success down there. And it's starting to happen more and more in Newcastle. And a public auction, I think, is a good idea for a lot of properties because everyone can see who they're bidding against. There's no way you're going to get kazump because you know what that person over there is bidding. And at the end of that particular day, you have yourself a locked-in contract and a definite buyer. And it's all done. So I think at the moment, I've been talking more about auction. Uh, but having said that, there are people who just want to put their house on the market very quietly. They don't, they just want a few ads and just keep it nice and quiet. So that's another way of doing it. So, so how do you maximise your selling price? I know there's a number of companies now that will go around and, and, and take all your <laughs> furniture out and put all this very trendy... Um, um, marketing type yeah. furniture. Look, look, we've, we've, we've had success at that, and that's that's not something to be. I mean, you can look at a house and think, look, it's a really nice house, but it could do with a little bit of a tidy up and just a bit of presentation. And you can get in these these people, and they'll charge you a, a, just a monthly rate. It might be, I think it's around three and a half thousand dollars for a four bedroom house for one month, and that includes cutlery and the whole thing laid out. And it makes the house look like a vogue living. And you can get extra money for a house by doing that. And I've done that. I've, I've been had success at that. So you, you can do that. But at the end of the day, I just say to people, when you present your house for sale, have the lawns and gardens all neat and tidy. Certainly that's important because the house has to have what we call street appeal. And the other thing to do is declutter. Um, just try and declutter the house. I don't think you've got to take down all the family photos, which some people do suggest. I think they're quite happy to be left up there. And and that's what you do to do the marketing. So I'd say the photographs and what are taken, it just looks that little bit nicer. And the way some of the photographs are done these days, you can make anything look good. So... No, it's all done. Photoshop. Yeah. yeah, well, you're not, well, it's illegal to Photoshop. There's been several places in Sydney that have been, they've been caught at it, actually. Greening oh, the grass haven't. and blooming the sky and yeah, yeah, well, all that, yeah. There's a number of places I've seen where they've got fires burning in the fireplace in the middle of someone. Yes, well, that's Photoshopping. It's yeah. not something that I would, uh, suggest no. you should do. No, I think that's right. So, 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 who, um, so, so we've, we've, we've got the, um, and it's the reverse, you know, the seller receives the offer from the buyer and decides yep. whether to accept it. And, Correct. You know, sometimes I've been told the, the best offers are usually the first. Is that, is that right? Yeah, this, that all revolves around that what happens is in the first four weeks, maybe six weeks if you want to push it out, that's when your best buyers are going to come and look at the house. And what you try to do, you, you have a whole group of buyers that will come in that first four to six weeks. And... The offers that you get out of them will generally be the best. It's a bit like waiting for a bus. After that, the buyers seem to drop off. It's like waiting for a bus. You wait for the bus to pull up out the front and someone to get off and want to look at your house. So you're running with the also-rents. You're hoping someone new is going to come into the market to look at buy a home. 
So if you can do it in the first four to six weeks, and that's partly why auction and expressions of interest have a, a finalisation date as against a straight private treaty sale, which runs for three to four months, that you're trying to get all those people in the house in that four to six weeks to get the best offer. Okay, so after you've done that, it's all settled. When does the agent get paid? Uh, right at the very end. <laughs> um, when, when we sell a house, we do collect a deposit, uh, generally 10%, 5%. It can be anything the deposit these days, whatever's negotiated. We try to actually get a deposit that will cover what we're charging. That's held in our trust account. Uh, anything else that happens after that is to do with this lister or conveyancer. And then at the very end, when the property settles, we receive a letter from both parties, solicitors or conveyances, by an owner, and that authorises us to take our fee out of the deposit and send the balance of to the owner or deposit it in their bank. So that's when we get our money at the very end, which is normally about six weeks after the sale goes through. Yeah, so you don't usually get any money until the, the no, last five No, months. no, okay. none up front. Okay, no. and so what what commission range are we talking about here? It's it, it, Look, it does vary a great deal, and I would say around Newcastle, most agents would be somewhere between 2% to 2.5%, and that would include GST. So if an agent quotes you a rate, it must include GST. It's illegal not to. And then on top of that, we sit down and may talk to you about some of the other promotional things that we can do for a slight extra charge. And that that can vary, you know, $500 through to, you know, some properties, if they're really multi-million dollar properties, the agent might want ten or $15,000 to, market, to market it properly, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for coming along. I think we've uh, run out of time here. Lots of great stuff. I think we might have to have Mark back again. Mark Longworth from uh, LJ Hooker's Valentine on Thursday, finance, buying and selling a house. And you can catch this program on podcast in the next couple of days through 2NURFM.com. Coming up is the news in two minutes' time. And after that, Julian Campbell will be along with Business, the Law and You. 2NURFM, 103.7.